Let me introduce you this morning to three remarkable people. You may have heard of them, but I want you to meet them this morning. And I hope by the time uh, you hear about them, you'll see how the goodness of God works in the lives of people and in relationships so that it can address the deepest, darkest problems of humanity and society. I speak, of course, of the book of Philemon. Philemon. It's interesting. We use a lot of um, names from the Bible when we name our children, and that certainly makes sense. In fact, it's called a, a Christian name. It used to be, and even now, when I baptize a child, I will say, what name have you given this child? And uh, that's why it's called christening, because it's called a Christian name. It's called a surname. My surname, my last name is Curran. But my given name, my Christian name, uh, my christening name is Jerry. And you're thinking, uh, where is that in the Bible? Well, it might be short for Jeremiah, but my mother didn't have that in mind. So we use Mary, which is the most popular name in history, Elizabeth. We use Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, David, Paul. We use those a lot. We haven't used Philemon so much. Parents, can you tell me why? Why didn't you use Philemon? perfectly good New Testament name, and the, he had a slave whose name was Onesimus. I know why you haven't used that one. It's just too many syllables. And the third person is Paul. You'll find this in your New Testament, First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then the book of Hebrews. It's easy to miss, isn't it, because it's in my Bible, one page. In fact, uh, it doesn't even have chapter divisions. It's so short. So who are the three actors in this? The first is Paul. Paul, in his missionary journeys, had uh, preached in Ephesus. In fact, it's a remarkable town. It was a Roman uh, district capital. And as such, it was not only a county seat and a state capital, it was a Roman district capital, kind of like, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. Or, or our state capital. What's our state capital in Maryland? It's not Annapolis, is it? Oh, yeah, it is Annapolis because that's where the state house is. That's right. I thought it was Baltimore, you know. Have you ever played that game, the, the capitals of the 50 states? And a third of the time we get it wrong because it's not the natural. I mean, who would have thought that the capital of New York was in Albany, way up there next to Canada? And yet there it is. And Ephesus was kind of like that. It was a provincial capital. It was a Roman uh, capital. It was surrounded by hills, and it actually had a river and a port. So commerce, government, location, everything made it a big city. Consequently, Paul and his strategy spent two, two and a half, almost three years there uh, teaching 
in preaching. He started out in the Jewish synagogue and they ran him out because they recognized that in Christianity uh, there was a supersession. It superseded uh, all the Old Testament uh, ceremonies. And those who were committed to that and loved it were not willing to give place to it. The whole book of Hebrews is written to some Jews who said, well, we think we're going to go back and be Jews. And Paul said, well, it's kind of hard to do that because Jesus is better than Moses. And his salvation is better than the Old Testament ceremony system. And so they kicked him out of the synagogue. So he went to the Hall of Tyrannus. It was a place where it was like a college. And he preached and taught there. And people came to the Lord and he taught them. And there we have the book of Ephesians, which is the most uh, lengthy elaboration of what the church is and how it came to be. Now, what happened while he was there preaching is because it was a commercial center and because it was a government center and an educational center and a religious center, they had the Temple of Diana there, kind of like the National Cathedral. People from all the surrounding area of Asia Minor would come to Ephesus and because travel was such, you couldn't run down there on the train or drive down there for the day and came back. It took you all day or two to get there. Then you had to spend a few days there getting your business done. And then you'd go back home. While they were there, many have heard about Christianity and Paul. And so they would come to hear Paul preach. From the Lycus Valley, a town named Colossae, uh, there were a bunch of people that had heard the gospel through visiting Ephesus. And they started a church there, and Paul wrote him a letter called the Colossian Letter. Now, they didn't have um, church buildings at that time, but they did have palatial homes. In fact, you can visit some of these homes in Ephesus because what happened over the years is that the water caused the silt to come down into the town, and all the sewage went into the harbor and the silt, and it grew up, and now there's no harbor there. But because the town was covered in mud, kind of like some places in eastern North Carolina right now where I grew up, they just abandoned it. And it lay for centuries under mud. And now German archaeologists have been excavating it for 30 years. And you can actually go into one of these homes where Paul probably taught. And it's like a Spanish home. You go in and there's a huge courtyard in the middle with plantings and fountains. And Paul often taught in one of those courtyards. And so they would come and hear Paul preach and teach. And then they would go back to their city. And they would share the gospel with their household. And the household was large because it had many generations of family. and had many servants and slaves. And so it was a little city. And so those people would hear the gospel. This is what happened to Philemon. He had come to Ephesus on business. He heard the gospel and became a Christian. He went back home, and he shared with his family, and they all became Christians and many of his servants. And so they started holding church in this palatial home, and that was one of the churches, the church in Ephesus. Now, the second person enters the story. The first, uh, well, I should have started in this order. Uh, person A, really, was Paul. 
The first actor is Paul. He was the evangelist in Ephesus. But being an evangelist and apostle, he didn't stay in one place. That's what pastors do. They stay in one place. After he finished in Ephesus, he went on to other churches. Eventually, though, the uh, Jews stirred up the Roman authorities, and Paul was arrested. And he was taken to prison in Rome, Acts tells the story. And from Rome, he is riding back to the Lycus Valley to Philemon. The reason he's riding is that Philemon, actor number one is Paul, actor number two is Philemon, actor number three is Onesimus. Philemon had a slave whose name was Onesimus. In Greek, it means useful. It means useful, so they named this slave useful. That was not unusual in the Roman world. The Roman world had 60 million slaves. There were more slaves in the Roman world than there were citizens. And that made sense because you go home this afternoon and uh, everything you do, if you cook something, well, back then a slave would chop the wood, stop the fire, carry out the ashes. A slave would cook the food and serve it and then wash the dishes. A slave would fan. If you need heat, there'd be wood to be heated. A slave would take care of the horses and the carriage and drive the carriage. Uh, a slave would vacuum. Uh, everything that you have uh, instruments, ut utilities, appliances to do, back then there would be a slave uh, that would do it. And they'd get these from conquered peoples. And many of them were educated because now if you send your child to school, they would have a slave in the household that would teach the children. And then as they grew older, they'd have slaves that would teach special things. Uh, the doctors were slaves. The nurses were slaves. The teachers were slaves. The whole society was based on slavery. So it was not unusual that Philemon had a lot of slaves in his household, and one of them was named Onesimus. Well, Onesimus got to the point he'd had enough, so he fled. He ran away, breaking Roman law, and uh, Philemon lost his investment. And when he fled, he took a little something with him. He stole from Philemon because Onesimus needed some traveling money. So Onesimus goes to Rome. Part of it's the biggest city in the world at the time, so he could get lost and reduce his chances of being found. Because if he's found, he would be cruelly uh, punished, maybe even put to death. Because when you've got 60 million slaves, you want to be careful that people don't start running away. So you enforce that with draconian punishment. So either by accident or by plan, he finds Paul, who is a prisoner. Now, the way the Romans did it, they didn't say, we're going to put you in jail and pay all this money. They said, you can rent a house while you're waiting a year or two or three for trial. And with your own money, you can rent a home, and you can hire servants, and you can live pretty nice until your, your, your trial comes up. So he finds Paul, okay? Maybe he had heard Paul preach. Maybe he had been to Ephesus with his master. Maybe he sought him out, I don't know. But he found Paul, and Paul shared the gospel with him, and guess what happened? Onesimus became a Christian. Onesimus became a Christian. Now, a couple of things. You ask yourself, well, why did he have to leave 
the Christian home where he was serving and go to Rome to become a Christian. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever had a Christian home and you reared your children and they didn't respond to the gospel? In fact, they went another way. And they went off to college. And when Sandy and I were on crew staff at, at uh, University of Georgia and then at Northwestern, parents would contact us and say, I've been praying for my child. He grew up. He's been to church, but he's, he walked away from all of it. And nothing we can do, the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, the parents can persuade him for Christ. But we know that you can. <laughs> if you would a stranger just go talk to him in the freedom of being a college student, he will listen. But, and we would follow up. And often the power, a kid would say, hey, I came to college to get away from that. Get out of my room. Often they would say, well, I'm glad you're here because my parents taught me, my grandmother prayed for me, and now that I'm away from their constraint, I'd like to hear it in a different way. And they would turn to Christ. I love those things. It kind of scared me because I have to report back, no, he's just as bad here as he was there, maybe worse. But sometimes I would say, your prayers have been answered. He's responded. Um, Onesimus responded and became a Christian. Now there's a problem. Onesimus is a runaway slave and a thief. And Paul has to turn him into the authorities. And he will be cruelly punished, maybe put to death. So Paul comes up with a plan. He's already writing a letter to the Colossians. And Tychicus is going to carry it. Okay? So he writes another letter to Philemon. And sends it to Tychicus and said, give this to Philemon. This is that letter. Now, Bill read it to us. And I hope as we read this, we're going to read the whole thing again. This afternoon is one page. Go home and read it. And I hope be enlightened by some of the things I'll share with you. I call this Philemon the Refresher. Because in verse 7, you have it here, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. By opening his home up and practicing hospitality, by hosting a church in his home, by providing them food, giving them a welcome when they came, he had done so many things to refresh the hearts of the saints. In fact, he says again down in verse 20, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Another word for refresh is I have great joy and encouragement because of you. The word encouragement there is paraclesis. And you may recognize that. Jesus said, I'm going to send a helper and encourage of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the encourager. And he's asking Philemon, he's saying, look, um, I could demand that you let him go because the way it turns out, you became a Christian through my preaching and you owe me everything. I'll tell you the story one time in the course of my ministry at Duke when I was a student. 
I led a young man to Christ who became a Christian and then became a doctor. He was my doctor in Durham for 10 years. And he became an elder in the PCA church that Sandy and I ended up serving in. I have to tell you that story. And when I, he had three daughters, the way Sandy and I did, and when I saw him after 20 years in Durham, and I finally got, got back there, his oldest daughter came up and he said to him, remember the man I told you about, the student that shared the gospel with me? She said, yes. And he said, this is him. And you know what she said? What did she say? Pleased to meet you. Glad to hear it, meet you after all these years. The first words out of her mouth were, thank you. A Christian father, a Christian mother, a Christian home, a Christian church. And she had enough thankfulness in her to appreciate what had happened. But did I say, Ray? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. God gets the glory. But Paul is saying to Philemon, you owe me. You owe me your life. And I could demand that you release him. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you a chance to step up to another level of being a Christian. I'm going to ask you to receive him as your brother as well as your slave. And forgive him because God in Christ has forgiven you. And then he says, if he owes you anything, put it on my account, I will repay. In theology, that's called imputation. Take his sin and put it on me, and I will pay what he owes. And that's what Jesus does for us imputation our sin was laid on him and his righteousness is imputed credited to us so this is what's going on we don't know the end of the story I'm going to give you a little light on history at the end of the sermon but right now in this letter and in the book of Acts we don't know what the outcome was we don't know the response of Philemon but it would be hard to resist the way Paul persuades in this letter. In light of that, I want you to go home this afternoon and read Paul's letter again and look for the persuasive argument that Paul uses. I'm not going to dwell on it now because I want you to see something else in the book of Philemon. If you look up at verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul is a prisoner, not of the Roman government, but of Christ. He's a prisoner of Christ because Paul said, I want you to come and follow me and be an evangelist and an apostle. And, and he said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. But he's a prisoner of Rome also. And he says to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace. Now, 
This looks like father, mother, and son. It looks like Aphia was the mother and wife, and Archippus was their son. I want you to note, friend. Friend is a good word. We hope to build friendships in life, at work and at church, where we vacation to make a friend. There's nothing like a friend. But you know, friendship is based on common interests. It's also based on common experience. It's also based on leisure. You have golfing friends, fishing buddies, hunting buddies. What do ladies have? Hunting buddies? Fishing buddies? Football buddies? I don't know. What do you have, Sandy? What do you have? Quilting friends. Yeah. What's that? Shopping friends. Shopping friend. It's based on activities, isn't it? Common activities, leisure. Okay. But Paul goes a step further. He says, not just my friend, but my fellow worker. Paul is going to use the word fellow three times in this book. It's the word soon, S-U-N in Greek. And he puts it in front of the word. And so we end up with two words, fellow worker, and his is soon ergo. You know, ergonomics, the study of labor, the study of work, the study of power. Soon ergo, fellow worker. We end up with two words that he has one. And he three times he's going to use the word soon. And he's going to use it, first of all, here, fellow worker. These are the three amigos. Fellow worker. And then further down, he says, fellow soldier. And at the end, he says, fellow prisoner. I want to talk to you about these three levels of Christians in the church. The first, he says, Philemon is a dear friend, but also a sonergo, a fellow worker. See, if friendship is based on leisure, fellowship is based on labor. That's the difference. Friends are things that we do fun things with. Fellowship, soon ergo, is people that we do work with. Ministry. Ministry work. So that's what happens in churches. You become friends, and then you become fellows in the work. Helping serve a meal, help cut grass, help um, usher. All these things that we do, fellow deacons, fellow elders, it's based on doing work together. Now, Paul is asking Philemon to step up from being a slave owner and seeing Onesimus as a slave to seeing him as a brother in Christ with all the implications that means. So I want you to consider stepping up. Maybe you're a church visitor. We're glad to have you here this morning. I invite you to step up to being a regular attender. That's three, four, five times. Something happens in the computer in this church. 
when you visit more than three, four, five times. A light goes off, and I come haunting your door. <laughs> well, I've seen you be here a few times. I'd like to meet you, tell you about the church. You're still, I want to make a friend of you. I invite you to step up from visitor to regular tender. What's the next step? Fellow worker. Take on a job in the church. Work with, soon, work with some other people in the church. And you'll find that your relationships move from leisure to labor. And they'll get deeper, stronger, more beautiful, and dearer. Fellow workers. That's why churches, as they grow, they start sprouting committees like mushrooms. Because the work needs to be done. And people, based on their talent and who they know and their interests, end up on education committees and missions committees and facility committees and grounds committees and fellowship committees. And you know the routine. Choirs. Because they are working together. And Paul says, my dear friend and my fellow worker. But there's another category. You see that? And he says, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, what is this? What is this? You know who the soldiers are in the church? They're the officers. They're the ones that God says, I want you to put aside your leisure and some of your labor and be a leader. I want you to soldier. A soldier to please his commanding officer does not get involved in affairs of daily distraction. Even good things, even good things. Because a soldier is on service. And I've told you before, how did Sandy and I get from North Carolina to Annapolis, Maryland? Because God sent us. And you called us. Because Sandy and I are soldiers. We go where we're sent. We do the jobs that are given us to do. And that's why God provides soldiers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, elders, and deacons to a church. Archibus apparently had become a pastor. He had laid aside some of his leisure and maybe some of his labor. And he was giving his time, talent, and energy to the church. Throughout the Bible, Paul calls the people that serve with him fellow soldiers. Um, this is in the book of Philippians. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus of Philippians 2.25. Epaphroditus, my brother, he's a Christian, fellow worker. They had labored together and fellow soldier because he had left his leisure and his labor. And he had followed Paul to minister to the church. Worker, soldier. I, I, 
have any of you considered stepping up from visitor to regular attender to worker, fellow worker, to fellow soldier? Have any of you considered being like a chair of a committee, serving on a committee? Have you, and lay aside some of your leisure and labor. Have any of you considered if God is calling you to be an officer in the church? Have any of you considered if God is calling you to be a pastor or an evangelist? I'm going to ask you the way Paul asked Philemon, consider stepping up to another level and becoming a fellow soldier with me and these officers and Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a third one. Prisoner. Look down at the end of the book. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner for Christ Jesus sends you greetings. Fellow prisoner. Fellow prisoner. Throughout the history of the Christian church, Christians have spent time in prison. It's maybe one of the reasons why Christians have always been people of a heart for prisoners. We spent time as prisoners under the Romans, under the Jews, under every nation in Western Europe, even in this country in Canada. Right now in China, Christians are going to prison because they're commanding them not to meet in their own homes for the study of God's word. And there's some Christian soldiers in China who said, you're not my commanding officer. God is. And I go where he sends me, not where you send me. I'll pay my taxes. I'll do my civic duty because I'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but I will give to God what is God's. And I am a Christian. And when he tells me to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, I'm going to do that. Because you may have the sword, but he has eternal life. You may be able to take my possessions, but he gives me eternal blessing. You may be able to put me in prison, but he can free me. You may be able to take my life, but he gives eternal life. Now, who do you think I should follow? Who do you think you are? God? You are government. And so some of those soldiers of Christ in China are going to church, going to prison, rather than in the church in their home. Fellow soldier, Paul was in prison. Paul, in 2 Timothy, said, I have run the race. I have finished my course. Because we think he was arrested and then released. And he was arrested the second time, and the gig was up. He was going to his death. And so he paid the price. I'm not going to ask you to step up and be a prisoner. 
but we don't do that. We don't have vain, self-glorying martyrs. We live at peace with all men insofar as we are able. We render unto Caesar. We submit ourselves to the governing authority. But sometimes the government says, we're going to replace God. And it's a strange thing that that happens in a country where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. You know what that means? It comes from God, and able cannot be taken away by the government or supplanted by the government. Now, people that live in China or India or Pakistan don't have that kind of a constitution. But they still have a creator God, don't they? And they still have the same rights that God gave them. God is still God. And so we have to face the possibility that if we're going to be workers and soldiers, we could end up being prisoners. And if you don't think that could happen, go back and read the book. Read your newspaper. So what am I asking you to do? i got three applications. Number one, step up. Consider stepping up. The way Philemon was asked to step up from being a slave owner to being a recognition that this is a brother in Christ. Number two, be a refresher. Be an encourager. Make someone's heart glow. Find ways to do it. Find your level. Well, I just got here. Well, be a visitor. Well, I'm ready to be a, a fellow worker, join the church. I'm ready to be a soldier. Come and talk to us. We'll even put you on a course of study the way Nick did so that over time you can develop the doctrine and the duties so that you can be a soldier. Let me tell you what may be the rest of the story. I'm going to tell you two quick stories while we finish up here. There was a young Christian who was trained as an attorney, and it turned out he had great gifts, and he wrote a great book that helped launch the Reformation called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. It was a short book on doctrine, but it transformed Europe. His name was Jean Calvin, John Calvin. And so he had to flee France, Jean, he was French. He ended up in Switzerland. And he was looking for a place that he could quietly write and maybe teach in the university. He passed through Geneva, Switzerland. It was a reformed city. The pastor there of the church was named uh, Farrell, William Farrell. And he heard that Calvin was in town and he needed help. And he went and he grabbed Calvin and he said, I declare in the name of God that if you do not assist us in this work of the Lord, stay in Geneva and help preach. The Lord will punish you for following your own interests rather than this call. Ten days after Calvin died, Pharaoh wrote, Oh my, why was I not taken away in his place while he might have been spared for many years of hell to the service of the church of Christ? Thanks be to him who gave me the exceeding grace to meet this man 
and to hold him against his will in Geneva, where he has labored and accomplished more than tongue can tell. At the name of God, I then pressed him and pressed him again to take upon himself a burden which appeared to him harder than death, so that he at times asked me for God's sake to have pity on him and to allow him to serve God in a, ma in a manner which suited his nature. But when he recognized the will of God, he sacrificed his own will and accomplished more than was expected from him. That's what a soldier is. This is from William Barclay. He's a great, uh, was a great uh, New Testament professor, one of my favorites. Although now and then he seems to slip off into the ditch, but anyway. It is highly probable that Paul's letters, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, Philemon, it is highly probable that Paul's letters were collected, edited, and published in Ephesus around A.D. 100. Not long after A.D. 100, eight, Ignatius, the great bishop of Antioch, which was in Syria, and that was a great Christian center, was being taken to Rome to be burned for being a Christian bishop. And as he traveled, he wrote letters to all the churches in Asia Minor. He wrote to Ephesus. And he, write, he told the people there the excellence of their own bishop. Quote, a man of inexpressible love, I plead with you by Christ Jesus to love him and to emulate him. For blessed is God who granted you to be worthy to obtain such a bishop. Do you know what the bishop's name was? Onesimus. Now, we don't know if that was the Onesimus of Philemon. But how many people are named useful in A.D. 100 in Ephesus? Could it be that Onesimus became a Christian, became a worker, became a soldier, became a Christian pastor, became the bishop of the whole Ephesus deal, collected Paul's letters, and slipped in this little letter to show us what the goodness of God can do in the life of a slave? Because we're slaves to sin. And look what he can do in our lives. Friendship, fellowship, working and serving, soldiering, and maybe even the privilege of prison for him. Would you go home this afternoon and read Philemon, the refresher? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that this letter got inserted into the New Testament because how else would we know how else would we have such a great example of the goodness and the grace of God and what it can do in the lives of people, slaves to sin, and even slaves in society? Father, give us the grace to step up and be all that you called us to be. We ask it in Christ's name.